maybe that's where the cards came from in the first place is the fact that it's very hard to fix any of these things long term and having an easy prompt for you to remember oh this is something that could do with a little work could do with a little help i've definitely personally found that to be really effective i i normally work with at least one or two of these cards propped up on my desk as that reminder Welcome to the Digital Habit Lab from Mind Over Tech, a place where we explore our relationship with technology. I'm your host, Menka Sangvi. In each episode, I'll be joined by guests from different walks of life as we observe how we use tech, reflect on how it sometimes uses us, and experiment with ways to make sure it is actually helping us to do what we value most in life. Each season of our podcast focuses on a theme, and this one is about intention. We're asking questions like, what is intention? What does it feel like to be intentional? And why is it so important to the way we use technology? We have a special episode today for you because our Kickstarter campaign has just gone live. We're raising funds for the Digital Habit Lab cards. It's a deck of 50 cards. Each one has an experiment on it to disrupt your digital habits and turn your tech into tools that you're in control of. I'm really excited about these cards finally, finally becoming available to all of you. So in this podcast, I've invited the founder of Mind Over Tech and the creator of these cards, Jonathan Garner, to come and talk to me about the cards. We go through a number of experiments that have really helped us to become more intentional with our tech. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Menka. I'm really, really quite excited about these cards finally becoming available to everyone. We ourselves have been experimenting with these for a while now. What do you think, Jonathan, like a year or two? Yeah, I mean, depends how far back you look. I guess the, the very genesis of them was maybe maybe even three and a half years ago in, in a very early form. Mm. But, but yeah, really the last, the last year and a half is where the serious, serious developments happened. Mm. Having said that, I don't think either of us or any of us would claim to have sorted it all out. <laughs> <laughs> no, far from it. <laughs> but at least we've been experimenting, right? And uh, I have tried out all of the cards. Yeah, I, I certainly have at some point. Some I come back to more regularly than others. Yeah. But I think, you yeah. know, to your point about not having it all perfected, maybe that's where the cards came from in the first place, is the fact that it's very hard to fix any of these things long term. And having an easy prompt for you to remember, oh, this is something that could do with a little work, could do with a little help. I've definitely personally found that to be just really effective. I normally work with at least one or two of these cards propped up on my desk as that reminder. Yeah, and of course, so many of them are deeply interconnected. It's so nice when you come back to a card and experiment that you haven't worked on in a while but you find it a lot easier because you've been working on other things which help. All the behavioral changes are so interconnected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. For this conversation, I asked you to pick out three cards Mm -hmm. that you personally have found useful for um, being more intentional in our behavior with technology. Mm -hmm. And I've done the same thing. So I'm going to ask you to read out your card and share how the experiment went. Mm -hmm. And I'll do the same, and then we'll go keep swapping until we run out of time. Great, and okay. Because this is also the last episode in the season. We'll try to connect it back to some of the things we've heard on the podcast. Great, perfect. All right, let's play. 
The first one I'm going to pick is the Curate Your Media Feeds card. In essence, this experiment is all about actively engaging with your social media feeds and either muting or unfollowing people or topics which aren't really bringing you any value anymore and then actively seeking out new connections or, or kind of new inputs which inspire you or support you around the things which you're really interested in right now. And this is something which uh, I don't do that often, but whenever I do, I I always find it has a really massive impact. Because I think the thing is, it's very easy for me anyway, that when I'm, I'm using, I'm, I'm going to use Twitter as an example here, like I'll open it up and most of the time, quite honestly, when I'm doing it, I'm kind of on a semi-autopilot. So I open it up and I'm already kind of caught up in the information which is coming up in my face. So occasionally when I run this experiment, when I open up the app, I do it with a very different motivation, not one to just read whatever new nuggets of information are being given to me, but to actually kind of critique what I'm seeing there and to really ask myself the question, is this something which which I actually really care about? <laughs> So I I did that quite recently as a New Year thing. Like we've been working quite a lot towards getting this Kickstarter out for the cards, and that has meant that I've had to dial down on some of the other topics of interest that I'm researching or, or reading about, just for a period of a month. By like stripping those people out, it's kind of helped me not get distracted there. But then also I I followed a few other people that were running Kickstarter campaigns of their own to inspire me about. Just that that headspace. I suppose we're always changing as people, so it's worth coming back to that question. Is this current list of people and accounts that I'm following actually reflecting my current interests and values? Mm -hmm. Before social media, we've always had social constraints about who we can hang out with and who we end up spending time with, but perhaps we were a bit more intentional about it. Yeah. One thing that comes to mind is, you know, the conversation that I had with John Paul Flintoff, where he was talking quite a lot about RSS feeds? Yeah. He was really into this one particular app, Feedly, which helped him to get away from the social media feeds and create something basically equivalent to that, but that he was more in control of. Mm -hmm. So I looked it up afterwards, and there's a whole AI component to it as well. You can dial up certain themes or topics or words. For example, you can tell it that you're particularly interested right now in climate change. Yeah. And so all the things that are relevant to that will come up higher on your feed. So it's, it's like what the social media tech companies are doing for you, but you're doing it for yourself. So obviously, it's much more aligned with your intentions. That's nice. Yeah. So you, you can kind of suggest the themes that you want the algorithm to be kind of focusing on rather than just mm -hmm. yeah which is nice because i guess the name of the experiment is curate your media feeds and there is that sense of like if you go to a, a gallery or a show which is curated there there is a theme and someone has taken the time to choose that there was also like a couple of people through the, the various episodes that you recorded who were really talking about the link between creativity and intention Hmm. And for me, like there's something, even though it's a small act of creativity, like the act of going through and choosing some things to to take away and choosing some things to add to to your feed is a form of creative process. It's definitely an active process, and I, and I think lots of people that you spoke to were saying that 
something that they could do to give themselves back a sense of intentionality or to fight feeling unintentional was one where they basically did something creative. Yeah, I think all of them, like JP was literally turning digital experiences into little books or into art. And TU was talking about creating these multi-sensory experiences in the form of a ritual to elevate an ordinary moment and give it meaning. And Scott Riley was talking about tech design and how, in his view, the best software allows users to basically take control and create things, unexpected things. Yeah, that's something that I have I really connected with when I heard that. Like doing something creative, however small, is kind of a way to give myself a much stronger sense yes. of, of agency or intentionality. Yes, definitely. I think yeah. you get into a different mode where you're doing a lot more choice making when mm -hmm. you're being creative. Yeah. And so just naturally become more intentional. Yes. Another possible benefit of curating your feed is also avoiding the echo chamber. You might mm -hmm. want to yeah. expose yourself to things that you wouldn't normally go to. Absolutely. Yeah. When I've done it in the past, it has literally been that almost following random people <laughs> but with with that explicit choice of like okay this month i would like some fresh input so rather than just reading the same old themes of tweets by the same people that i know all the time let's let's try and introduce an element mm. of of the unknown yeah Maybe I should have put a timer on so we can get through more of them. Are you going to put a timer on now? Should we do five minutes? Yeah, yeah, let's okay, do that. timer. Okay, started. My card is see yourself in others. And okay. I mean, I think this is a really, really a challenging one because as you say on the back of the card, actually, it can be quite difficult not to get into the judgment mm. mode. Mm -hmm. and maybe even feel frustrated or angry or annoyed. There's something particular about it, whether you're sat next to someone on a train who's like really lost in Candy Crush or like your your partner kind of watching some YouTube clip, which you'd normally find really funny, but because the volume's really loud and you just find it a bit obnoxious. Like whatever it is, somehow <laughs> it's so uncomfortable to really, it's like you're having the, the crudity of those experiences like really exposed to you. Mm. Uh, and yeah, that can be very abrasive. So the main person that I hang out with is my two-year-old son. And <laughs> somehow um, I found it a lot easier doing this on, on him, doing this with him, seeing myself in him. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, because he's a kid, so it's easier to observe with, with that compassion. And uh, I've noticed um, that when he comes into a room, he's so easily influenced by what's out, like what's visible. Mm. Like mm. if it's a train set, he'll get mm. into that. If it's a puzzle, he'll get into that. If there's lots mm. of things, he'll get confused and he might not want any of them. But mm. normally if I clear up the room a little bit and just have one thing out, he'll be interested. And mm. so I've been experimenting with, with <laughs> different variations of room That's setup amazing. when he walks in. And the most interesting thing I found is if I haven't had time to put anything out and there's nothing and the room's clear, the TV dominates the room because we've got a TV in that same mm. room. And then he's like, I want to watch TV. Yeah. And I guess because it's the biggest thing that's visible, like, even when it's off. Yeah. And it's just made me much more aware of, well, how easily influenced I am too as well when I walk into a room, but by what's visible. Yeah. 
in the Atomic Habits book by James Clear, like, you know, he talks about with that habit design, if you want to bring in a habit, you should make it obvious, you should make it attractive, you should make it easy and make it satisfying. Hmm. And like that image you just made of walking into a room where there's nothing there but the TV, the TV is a good at embodying something which is easy and attractive and satisfying and just kind of like draws you straight in there. Hmm. Right? So then, because the experiments like see yourself in others, yes. then can you like see Menko when she walks into a room and your equivalent TV that you get drawn to? Yes, yeah, definitely. So um, for example, just before this call, I not only switched off my phone, I put it into a drawer. I'm doing a lot more of that, putting things away into drawers or just out of sight. Similarly, when I walk into my study, if my computer is open on a certain window or tab, I just know I'm going to get drawn into that. So I make it a point now to keep open what I want to be looking at when I next walk back in. That's really interesting, yeah. So actually by observing how others, particularly your son, are impacted by the environment around them, that's kind of led you to see how it's the same for you. And then as an antidote, how you can actually actively design or prepare an environment or space so that yeah. when you arrive in it, it's actually more aligned to what you actually want to be doing. Yeah. Okay, so your turn, next card. Okay, great. So yeah, the next one I chose uh, was use a Pomodoro timer. So this is something which I experiment with quite regularly because I find so much benefit from it when I do it. But then... I have to work really hard to make sure that I keep doing it. It's really it's it's really weird. Normally the stuff that you benefit from a lot it's easier to keep doing. But somehow it never gets easier. I need to really be very disciplined all the time to to keep doing it in that way. But basically just in a nutshell, I think most people know what a Pomodoro timer is, but the, the technique is basically to kind of time a work period and keep it quite short, maybe like 20 minutes, 25 minutes. You define for yourself what it is that you're going to be working on for that period of time. And you start a timer, and then when it finishes, you take maybe a short five-minute break, and then you start again. For me, it really helps me become much more aware of when I am sidetracked by something. Like if I've made the decision up front, okay, I'm going to respond to emails and just clear my inbox. If I set the timer, inevitably at one point, I'll come across like a newsletter and then start like finding a news article and start reading that where... I'm meant to be responding to emails, but I've drifted into this other thing. And the simple act of saying to myself, I'm only going to be responding to emails now and setting a timer makes it much easier for me to become aware when I'm drifting into other activities. It's also really important to take a physical break, isn't it? And just get up and move around and do something. Yeah. Something I'm really interested in at the moment, and because I think I struggle with it a lot, is staying connected with my body and my physicality when I'm working with tech during the day like mm. I go into my head so easily I'm reading I'm on a screen I lose the sense of like being in my body so what I really like with the Pomodoro timer is in the five minute breaks like that's a fun time where I get up and I'll do a stretch or I'll go and walk and make a cup of tea or whatever but there's something about doing that regularly throughout the day every 20 minutes where I'm so much more in my body at the end of the day than I would be if I wasn't doing that. That I, I can really see, really see the difference. Hmm. Actually, a lot of people that you spoke to were talking about the connection between their physicality and the sense of intention, you know? I remember JP at one point said, like, 
I'll do anything that applies my mind to the physical universe. I can do a press yeah. up, but yeah. that's, any, anything is helpful. Yeah, exactly. And what's so nice about the Pomodoro timer thing is that you can, you can be really playful with what you do in those little breaks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this yet, but there is that special bonus episode, three minutes, all about the Pomodoro technique. As explained oh, right. by TU. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. I don't think I've it's listened really to that. It's really interesting. Yeah. I've tried it a few times, but I've never really got into using Pomodoro. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> we should do, um, we should run like a tandem experiment and we both do the same one and then like see how we go. Hmm. My next card is fully embrace boredom. <laughs> When we have an infinite number of options available to us all the time, boredom can become a feared enemy. Watch out for the next moment when boredom creeps in and try to fully embrace it without distracting yourself with digital media. Mm. The way that I've been experimenting with that card is trying to go for a walk without touching my phone. Recently, I've got into the habit of going for a walk and listening to a podcast, which is great and I love it. Learning something, expanding my mind and heart. But it's also a way of teletransporting myself away from the physical experience. Mm. So for the experiment, I've been exploring how it feels and reminding myself how it feels to just go for a walk with no other activity. In particular, trying not to reach for my phone the moment I feel a bit bored. And it's been really fascinating to observe which moments I sense my hand moving towards my phone when maybe five minutes ago I was just fine and enjoying the fresh air and observing the trees and the squirrels. Mm, mm. So I ask myself, like, what's shifted in me? And it's usually I find some kind of discomfort, usually some thoughts about work or something else that's stressful. And then it's tempting to want to distract myself away from that by putting my earphones on and listening to something. So initially I was thinking it's just about boredom. But as I investigated, I realized there's lots of layers to it. And often boredom seems to be linked with some kind of underlying discomfort in that moment. And so, for example, I might feel like I'm bored and reach for my phone, but actually I'm feeling lonely. So I'm reaching for my phone to check in on what other people are doing. And then I might end up posting a photograph of myself on the walk. And it's just a way of connecting with other people. Yeah. Mm. And one of the conversations that we had in this podcast series is with Scott Riley, and he was talking about how you know tech is designed to satisfy a whole range of very, very human, normal, common urges and needs. And so it makes sense that you would want to get your phone out and, and satisfy that in that Definitely. moment. Yeah. But also interestingly, because I remember that conversation with Scott and he was saying how it that it's always reduced to a very one-dimensional, almost like minimum version of that. So, you know, he was saying like how, you know, yes. hitting like, you know, it's satisfying, but only just satisfying enough in the way that eating popcorn is satisfying. And it makes me think like, when you're out on a walk, when your mind moves back to things that need to be done or a sense of urgency or so on, or like, yeah, like a, a buildup of tasks, the act of opening up your inbox and looking to see if a new email come in, for me, I can really see how that's, it feels like a very easy action I can do to feel like I'm working towards trying to resolve the fact that there's lots to do. Yes. Um, 
I'm doing even something though, useful, right? It's exactly, in even though, yeah, exactly. But I'm not actually accomplishing anything. If anything, I'm just <laughs> adding more to my cognitive load and increasing the stress. But somehow the idea that my phone's in my pocket, I could do that now and I could somehow be chipping away at that. Like almost, yeah. it just makes me think of all these studies about how if you're working on a puzzle, if your phone is in the room, let alone whether it's turned on or not, like it, it, it has an impact on your ability to, to do that mental task well. And it's yeah. just the fact that it represents an opportunity that you could engage with something. Yeah, so you have these two forces, the discomfort disguised as boredom that's pushing you towards the phone and then the phone itself that's kind of pulling you towards it. It might just be easier not to take your phone with you if that's an option. Yeah, if I can say really quickly about mm. my memory of running this experiment is what really intrigues me is how tangibly scary boredom can feel when it first sets in. It's almost like your body is really squirming and trying to run away from from boredom. And that that can make this quite a difficult one to experiment with. But I found that you can quite easily turn that around to your advantage by just trying to understand okay what is it that i'm actually so afraid of <laughs> or like what is it that's making my body feel like, like this and even if it's just for 30 seconds just trying to observe that feeling of boredom or fear of of the boredom yes yeah because quite often when i do that actually it it suddenly it's almost like it disappears when i look at it and it becomes something completely different so somehow that can actually help me drop everything else and become a lot more present. Yeah, I find the same, that just acknowledging it and giving myself a little bit of kindness around it just softens it and then it doesn't have that power over me anymore. Yeah, and actually at the end of it, it even gives you a sense of confidence of like, oh, no, I, I can I can do that for even if it's just a, a minute. Like, <laughs> that's, yeah. that, that's, that's not that bad and like maybe I could do it again. Yeah. Mm, mm. Okay, your turn. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, okay, so the last one that I picked was avoid your inbox until the afternoon. It's one which, when I have done it, I've found it to be massively helpful. But I think the thing is that it's a good example of an experiment which is not like, it's not a silver bullet. So it's not one that would necessarily be good for me all the time, particularly running a, a, a business. A lot of the time it's important to be quite, readily available to clients or incoming requests or whatever it is so to always not look at my inbox into the afternoon would be too much sometimes but hmm. there have been times when i have a project that i'm working on and particularly when it involves a lot of research and kind of creative problem solving or thinking and i just need the boundary and the space to really like dive into it and get lost in that process when that happens uh this experiment i have found to be hugely helpful because i guess it's almost like common knowledge that like your inbox basically represents a list of demands of other people <laughs> and yeah if you're trying to work on something which re requires your full attention every single one of those incoming requests is basically minimizing your your impact to to, to do that that creative work so yeah, that's something which, particularly last year, when actually it was around one of the first times that I was going through revising the copy on all of these cards, actually. I was running this experiment a lot. When I was talking to Liz. 
mm. Liz Smith. She was saying that she's notorious for being really fast at responding to WhatsApp messages. <laughs> so she was saying that in the morning, she gives herself that permission not to reply to WhatsApp messages and not to reply to emails and just have a coffee, have breakfast and read a book. And she said sometimes that can be just 10 minutes, but usually it's more like an hour. And I'm just thinking we're talking about emails, but really it's all incoming messages that require a response, isn't it? Yeah, or at least the ones that you know are your weak links or the ones which hook you, I guess. Yeah. The other cards that go really well with that is the experiment of using your email signature to help manage expectations around how quickly you might respond to something. Yeah. But also I think there's another one about broadcast your terms. Right. And I think your WhatsApp status says something like, <laughs> I'm not ignoring you. I just don't check my WhatsApp all the time. Yeah, exactly. Using an email signature or your status like that to relieve yourself of the sense of, oh my God, I'm not checking these emails, but loads of people are sending stuff and I might be missing it. And what do they think about me if I'm not yeah. replying? Like I'm being rude or what if I miss like, and just somehow trying to cut away that a little bit. Okay, so um, I'm going to jump in with my last card. Yeah, great. Because it is really connected to this. <laughs> in a way, it's, it's, it's the other side of the coin. So mine is put your volume up in meetings. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> when people use devices in meetings, it's very difficult to know if they're paying attention or not. Mm. And the card goes on to say that actually a lot of people hide behind their devices. And... You never really know what's going on. And I know for myself, and I noticed that especially I did this experiment over the holiday season just gone, mm -hmm. and I was meeting up with a lot more people, mm -hmm. family and friends that I care deeply about and want to spend time with. But I noticed how I'd use my phone as a reasonably polite reason to check out from a conversation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. from a room or when it was just too much. People would assume that I've just seen an urgent message and I need to respond to someone yep. and they're fine with it. But yep. I knew in myself that I was kind of hiding behind my device. Mm. It's not mm. a meeting, but, you know, it is, it yeah. is a meeting. It's a, yeah, sure. And, um, yeah, so I've, I've been trying to be more present by, by making myself you know, be explicit about if I have a call that I'm expecting or a message that I am expecting, then I say that at the beginning. And initially it was a bit of an odd thing to say because you don't normally <laughs> do it. <laughs> but but it, it, but by the end of, of a period of one or two weeks of meeting up with the same group of people mm. on most days, and they got used to it. And in fact, there was a couple of times when I asked other people saying, is anyone expecting an important call? <laughs> and, and it didn't seem like an odd thing to do because yeah, it just helped. Amazing. Yeah, it created this... Uh, yeah, it created this sense of like, it's okay if you if you are, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, but then if you're not, then it's, it, the uh, underlying ag agreement between us all is, and then let's not look at our phones. Yeah, it's um. There's like a sense of shared accountability there. Yes, that's but the word. Also, it's like back to what I was saying with the Pomodoro one. Somehow, the act of saying, "In this time, I'm going to work on this," and then now that time is beginning. It's kind of the same spirit, right? You're kind of saying like, actually this meeting or this time with you is for you and to connect with you. And I'm going to, for myself, try not to check out from that or, or, or hide behind my phone, as you mentioned. Actually, I do need time away from people every so often. So 
if I'm with people for a few hours, I just need to step away and take little breaks. And so I actually ended up confessing that for the first time to family members who probably didn't even know that about me. And that's amazing. And so I ended up saying, I'm just going to take a mini break. It's just, I just need a bit of time for myself. Yeah. Just need a bit of space. Yeah. That's so amazing. I'm I'm like, yeah, it was, it was a big shift. Transforming your thinking of like, oh God, I keep on, I'm so addicted to my phone. I keep unlocking it. Like this is a real problem to maybe shifting that to thinking like, oh, why am I doing that? Maybe it's not a bad thing that you're engaging with phone a lot, but it's actually an insight that you've got that actually, yeah, I need some downtime. And and a lot of the time, back to what you said about yeah. being kind with yourself, a lot of the time also taking downtime with your phone is no bad thing. Like that can actually be a perfect way to do that. But even running an experiment like this can help bring that awareness to it. And then you can at least decide. Yeah. Do I want to be um, part of this meeting right now, this conversation right now, or do yeah. I need a bit of time for myself? If I need a bit of time, what do I yeah. actually want to do in that time? Do I want to go for a quick exactly. walk or just make a cup of tea or do I want to catch up on my my social media yeah. or whatever? And actually that's more in a social context that you mentioned, but in a work context as well, like I was speaking to someone the other day and they were saying what the amazing thing with this is actually if people really engage with it, it can help cut through cultures of having unnecessary meetings because after a while if you realize that you're just sat there and like Mm. half the people in the room are just not even really there and they're kind of doing this form of hiding in your laptop or your phone if you've done something like this Mm. and can actually surface a conversation acknowledging that then actually maybe that meeting doesn't even need to be happening in the first place or it needs to be radically redesigned so i think yeah that as a mechanism for being honest with ourselves whether that's individually or, or a team, it can be really powerful, actually. Mm, I just thought it was a great experiment and led to all kinds of shifts. So that's our three cards done. Oh my God, that time went so fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so right now mm, the Kickstarter yeah. is live. And if people want the cards, yeah. they can actually get them. So I just thought I'd check with you, Jonathan, if you have any tips on how people can get their hands on a pack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, the only place you can get them right now is through the Kickstarter. So that's live. As you said, you can go search Digital Habit Lab through the Kickstarter. Um, we'll also have a link in the show notes here yeah you, you, you can you can buy them through the kickstarter and they are at like a one-time heavily reduced rate so once the kickstarter is finished you'll be able to buy them through our the shop on our website but yeah kickstarter is the place to go and you can back one of those tiers there across a number of different price ranges very exciting mm. okay great so this is the last episode of the season Based on all the positive feedback we're getting, I'm hoping that we're going to continue for a second season. Yeah, absolutely. And we're just starting to think now about the theme and the guests. Yeah. So it might take a few months before before the next season goes live. In the meantime, I guess the best way for people to stay in touch with us is the newsletter. Yep. Yep. Through, through the newsletter. And uh, that will be sharing updates about how the Kickstarter is going in the short term, but then, yeah, also updating, as you said, on the new podcast season. And anyway, it will continue with just weekly reflections on our own workings with digital habits and and um, and links to inspiring stuff around that. Yeah, come and experiment with us. Yeah. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Cool. Thanks so much, Venkat. 
And thank you for this, this first season. It's been incredible. It's been really good fun. That's the end of the episode and the end of the season. I do hope you found some inspiration through these conversations to turn to your own digital habits with more awareness, more kindness, and a spirit of experimentation. Let's not accept the default settings. Let's find out what really works for us. We'll be back, hopefully, in a few months with Season 2. And in the meantime, please do stay in touch with us through our newsletter. All the very best from myself and the team at Mind Over Tech. Bye for now.